Welcome to Unlikable Female Characters, the podcast about women who don't give a damn if you like them. I'm Lane Fargo, and today I'm going to be chatting with a guest we've wanted to have on for a really long time now, Ashley Winstead. She is the author of In My Dreams, I Hold a Knife, which we've talked about a couple times on the show, and also Fool Me Once. She holds a PhD in English from Southern Methodist University, and she currently lives in Houston, Texas with her husband and two cats. Her latest thriller, The Last Housewife, is out on August 16th. Welcome, Ashley. Thank you so much for having me, Lane. I'm so happy to be here. I think you're the first guest that I like shouted out in an episode that I wanted to interview you, and then you heard it, and you were like, oh, yeah, I guess we should. I felt weird about that because I like meant to after we recorded that episode I was like I should email her and then I didn't so it was just this weird passive aggressive like come on the show kind of thing I can promise you there's nothing better than listening to your badass podcast hearing your name and that there's an invitation or desire for you to be on the show trust me that was like (laughs) top 10 best moments of my life so fantastic (laughs) thank you for that well I'm glad we were able to make it happen and this book I will not give spoilers, like I said, but I'm so obsessed with it. I loved your first book, In My Dreams I Hold a Knife. I blurbed it. Like, you know, I loved it. But this book is like next level, so badass. Like, I kind of can't believe you got away with some of the things you did in this book. It is inspiring. Thank you. (laughs) So could you tell everyone a little bit of what it's about and the inspiration behind it? Yeah. So The Last Housewife opens with a woman named Shade Roy, who is a Dallas housewife. And she is lounging by her pool, presses play on the latest episode of her favorite true crime podcast, and learns through this episode that her estranged best friend from college has been found dead. Not just that, but her body's been found on their old college campus and in circumstances that Shay realizes almost exactly mirror the way another woman died eight years ago. And Shay also realizes that she might be the only person left who knows that, who knows about that similarity. And I would say, except for, you know, the podcast hosts have some questions about that. So Shay does something she once vowed she would never do, which is pack up her life and go back to her college hometown in the Hudson Valley, Yonkers area of New York. And she starts digging into her old friend's life since college, since they graduated, which is the last time Shay spoke to her. And where the threads of what Laurel has been up to lead Shay is this underground world in the Hudson Valley of wealth and privilege and darkness. And as she begins peeling back the layers, she starts to see evidence of a group that's practicing brutalistic rituals that to her look very familiar. And that's where I'll leave it just to, you know, (laughs) leave people on a little bit of a hook. That's a great intro to this. It's like there's so much happening and then there's like the really salacious part of this, which I mean, I don't think it's a secret to say there's a sex cult in this book. And I... Honestly, when all the news about Nixium and everything broke a few years ago, I was so obsessed. I mean, I think that a lot of us Same. were and obsessed with how complicit women were in this, that there were like women running it. There's this man at the head of it, but then there's all of these women who were heavily involved, like Allison Mack and all of this stuff. And I remember reading all of these articles and being like, oh my God, this would make such a fantastic book, but I can't write it. I can't go down this dark path. But you did. <laughs> you went down the dark path. <laughs> yeah. The darkest, like such a dark path. 
So did the idea for this kind of come out around that time for you? Was that what sparked it or was it something else? So you hit the nail on the head. It was both the Nexium, which I didn't really even follow when the news first broke. It was later, like just about a year and a half ago. I think it was after I read about the Sarah Lawrence sex cult. Um, which was covered in The Cut. They did this great investigative mm-hmm. piece. And there's still not a ton of coverage about this absolutely wild story. But I got obsessed with the Sarah Lawrence sex cult story. And then through that, cults in general, especially Nexium. And the reason was exactly what you said. I was kind of like, push these uninteresting men cult leaders aside. Like, I don't care about them. Why are these powerful women with all of this social capital, financial capital, like what's in it for them? And in terms of the Sarah Lawrence sex cult story, it was a young girl, a Sarah Lawrence college student who brought her father into the dorm to live with her friends. And over years, he inculcated them into this cult. So I was fascinated by her. And that's the most kind of direct parallel with The Last Housewife. So yeah, I was like, I want to get in the heads of the women who find themselves, even that construction is maybe too passive, find themselves in a cult. I just, I want to know why. Me too, because it's kind of like, you look at it and you're just like, I could never fall for something like that. But we all could, like there's, you know, a cult out there for everyone. (laughs) I mean, we're already, so many of us, myself included, are are already in cults. If you kind of expand your definition a little bit, Mm. you know, like we participate in so much groupthink and tend to be seduced by certain buzzwords and attracted to people who offer us conduits, make us feel special. Like there's so many ways that yet we're already so conditioned to Mm -hmm. be susceptible to cults. And so I do find it really funny when people say I could never make such radical choices. Yeah, it makes me laugh because I'm like, if someone seduced you, because that's what it is, you know, at bottom, Mm -hmm. which is partly why I was so fascinated to write The Last Housewives as a kind of seduction story. But yeah, that's what it is. I'm like, you would be seduced. I still don't like the Nexium stuff. Keith Raniere is just like so gross. So I really appreciated that you said your cult leader looked like John Hamm. Yeah. I was immediately like, you know what? Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's one of the things where I was like, this is not at all accurate to like any cult ever. Oh, yeah. pretty much. But I'm going to do real life one better and like, you know. <laughs> Make him hot. Don Draper. That's the same thing with Temper. The guy that I based Malcolm Mercer on is like fucking gross. Okay. Like he is not hot, but he did way worse stuff than Malcolm Mercer and seduced people and manipulated them and all this stuff. But I was just like, yeah, for the sake of this book and like for my own enjoyment of writing it, (laughs) I'm going to make him hot. And I think it also then, like, as a reader, you're kind of like, this man is horrible, but he looks like Don Draper. So I'm feeling some things. Yeah. It's like, (laughs) it's a way because. You know, even creeps like the leader of Nexium, I imagine that in person there has to be something physically that is magnetizing about him. Yeah. And I, as the writer, can't get that across on paper. I don't know what it is. I've never been in his presence. It's almost a shorthand for getting that effect on the reader. Mm. It's like, hey, he looks like this man that you 
probably <laughs> think is really attractive. I just think it's more fun to write about hot people. I don't know <laughs> if that makes me a bad feminist. But... <laughs> I know. I, I'm just like, yeah, you will always find some hot people doing terrible things, but yeah. hot nonetheless. You know how I feel about Coop in your first book. I still think about him, <laughs> my boyfriend. That makes me so happy. That makes me so, so happy. Love a bad boy. He's actually good. <laughs> I know. Oh, do I have a book for you that I'm writing coming up? I don't know oh why God. I'm trying to talk about that, but... We'll talk about yeah. that at the end, and then maybe off the air, you can tell me secrets about okay, it that you don't want the people to know. Okay, okay. <laughs> so... I mean, what I loved about this book as well is that in getting in the heads of these women, you're really complicating the idea of agency and consent and what it means to be a victim because it is very complicated for someone who's in this situation and the media always tries to sand it down to like this bad man did this bad thing and this poor helpless woman. It's like you don't want to give the guy a pass, but you also don't want to infantilize the person who was caught in his thrall or whatever. Like she had agency. She made choices. She might have been manipulated. She didn't understand everything that was going on, but she still made choices. And I thought you did a really great job of showing that through Shay, especially, and then also having it questioned on the page and her having to kind of like defend it. Yeah. Thank you so much. It means so much to me that you say that because if there's one thing that I want readers to take away reading this book, it's understanding the complexity of consent and desire and how complicated even things like desire that feel so natural and feel like they come from such a deep place within us that there's no way they could be shaped by outside forces it's also a complicated thing to say that desire can be shaped by outside forces in some ways. Shay, I guess, is a conduit for me exploring a lot of questions I've had about the complexity of consent. When I was getting my PhD, I was a, kind of a post-humanist, so like studying post-humanist literary theory and read Oryx and Crake by Margaret Atwood in particular where she talks about genetically engineered humans and their procreation. And it raises fascinating issues of consent. And I think that like 13 years ago, I've been searching for how to have this conversation in fiction since then myself. Yeah, it's also, I mean, we're all living in a patriarchy and mm -hmm. we're socialized from a very young age to learn that women are supposed to be a certain way and respond in a certain way, which we can talk more about the mechanism of this cult in a second, but it very much relates to that gender essentialism. Mm -hmm. For me, certainly there are things that I like that turn me on that are very unfeminist. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of conflict about that because you're kind of like, it's one thing to be in bed with someone that you tr know and trust and everything and then another thing if a strange man said something like that to you or did something like that to you it's a completely different situation but you do have these moments of being like wait a second I'm a feminist I'm a strong independent woman why do I like this why do I respond this way this is kind of fucked up and there's that in the sex scenes between Shay and Don mm -hmm. where he's choking her saying these horrible things to her and I'm like I'm into that too I'll just say yeah. it <laughs> And it's very weird as a feminist. You can never really escape it. So it's like, should you just enjoy it? Should you try to decondition yourself? I don't know. Like, there's no real good solution. We all have to live in the patriarchy. Yeah. No, that, God, that's so brilliantly said. And yeah, Shay is my way of asking all those questions and to expand it beyond that. The complicated guilt I feel about wearing makeup 
and feeling very much like I want to please men in my life and just trying to untangle all of these things that on the one hand, like I understand where they come from and they do bring me pleasure, I think. You know? Yeah, it's like, do they? I don't know. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> I, exactly. I don't know. My pleasure is suspect. And when I started thinking about how suspect my own mind was, I thought, God, what is scarier? What's a scarier subject for a thriller than your own brain being, you know, this suspect? Of course, the men of the cult as well. But I think for Shay, the thing that is most terrifying is that she does not know herself. She cannot trust herself not to betray both herself and the people that she loves. And that's a thing that she's trying to get a grip on throughout the story. I thought it was interesting as well that you made her have a background in beauty pageants because we have talked many times on the show about how it's like as a woman, you're supposed to wear makeup and be like aesthetically pleasing and all this bullshit. But then if you enjoy it or use it or weaponize it, then like that's not okay. That's one of the top things that women will call other women unlikable because they know that they're beautiful. They're not insecure about it and they're using it. And she really does that at various points in her life in different ways. Like even when she's doing this investigation and they're going into the various tawdry (laughs) underground sort of thing, there's some line in there that she's like, well, if I was born bait, I might as well dangle myself. Like she knows she has this power. She's very, very aware of it. And I loved that about her. But as I was reading it, I was thinking there are probably some people who are going to have some issues with this and not like her because of it. Like, how dare she know she's pretty? Yeah. Like, ugh. <laughs> oh, man. I like, I will say, and this is TMI. So <laughs> I hope it's, well, you know, but no like, such thing on the show. <laughs> okay. I grew up personally learning that my own power as a human being was very much tied to my appearance. And mm. I grew up coming from a working class family not having a lot, not having hard power in any way, but learning from about the time I turned 12 or 13 when I, you know, hit puberty and suddenly old men were paying attention to me. And I kind of write about this from Shay's perspective in the book. That's a scene that was very much taken from my life because I suspect it's such a common experience, mm-hmm. if not completely yeah. universal for women. But it's that moment when you're young around 12 or 13 and you're getting cat called and you can feel men's eyes following you across a room and you are so alert to the danger, but there's also a part of your brain that understands that you can command this attention and that there's a power in it. And it is such Mm -hmm. a double-edged sword and it can screw you up so much as you age if you don't unlearn that or learn there are other paths to power. And so for Shay, this beauty queen whose beauty pageant scholarship got her to college and got her out of this town she was desperate to escape from, this has always been her path to power. And when she meets Don, he is so smart in that he's able to recognize this about her and dangle the trap of being under her power. So she thinks she's the one in control. It was really gratifying to explore that through this book. Yeah, he's like... I'm so obsessed with you. You have this power over me. And in the meantime, he's completely manipulating her and uh, men. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I think all women have had some experience of that. Like for me, it was 
developing breasts early and getting the idea from my mother even that I should hide it and I didn't want to I was kind of like fuck it I don't care and she would make comments about I mean my mom's great we're really close and everything but she would make comments about like oh it's so interesting that you don't feel ashamed of it and I was like I, I should I like when? <laughs> it's like there's no good way <laughs> it's like if you hide it it's wrong if you show it off it's wrong if you just like exist walking down the street it's your fault whatever happens like it's so fucked so fucked and I'm sitting here feeling jealous of you that your instinct was to not hide it and Mm. I'm having to remind myself that like that comes with its own set of problems you know because I was the girl who like wore multiple shirts to cover my chest and held my boobs as I ran (laughs) in PE class because I was so embarrassed (laughs) that they might like bounce it people would look at me and all I wanted to do was disappear. I just wanted to not exist when I started going through puberty. But again, I know, I know that there are like, it all comes with its own baggage. Yeah. I mean, that's it. Like there's really no way to grow up as a woman and not be fucked up in some way about your appearance. It's always something. (laughs) It's just doesn't matter. Like thin, fat, pretty, not pretty, like whatever. It just doesn't matter. There's always something because the patriarchy wants us to be obsessed with these things and not overthrow them. Yes, exactly. um, (laughs) Oh, I almost gave a spoiler. I won't give a spoiler, but you know what we want to do to the patriarchy and everyone else will have to read your book to find out. Yes. Yes. Shay comes up with an idea. Uh Uh-huh. She's a a good idea. I think I I like it. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit. Again, I don't want to get into spoilery territory, but I thought the way you set up this cult was so interesting, like the philosophy behind it. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I have been, as we all have, watching the news for... (laughs) 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 Alas. For many years, but particularly the last, you know, five as anti-women movements escalate. It's always existed, like the tale is oldest time, which is another part of the philosophy of the cult in this book. But, you know, it's like recently anti-women movements and groups like incels and right-wing factions, the Supreme Court of the United States, (laughs) that (laughs) right-wing anti-women faction. Just a third of our government, it's fine. It's it's totally fine. They're already in the government. So, yeah, watching... The increasing sanctioned violence against women, legal violence, political violence, rhetorical violence, and then also real terrible physical violence made me realize that if I was going to create a terrifying group of people, they wouldn't look like some very fantastical sort of thing, but they would look like these groups. They would espouse views very similar to what you can find on incel forums and other forums where I went for research and I do not recommend anyone ever going. Yeah, I did like a deep dive on this MRA Reddit thread when I was writing Temper and I can never unknow the things that I learned from that thread. (laughs) It is dark. It it will haunt you forever, won't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, and the thing that also haunts me is And luckily, I was able to use this in The Last Housewife. And I posted about this on Instagram a few days ago. But really, some of the things that I was reading in these forums and on these online posts just reminded me so much of the things that great philosophers like Aristotle and Kant and Plato and others said and things that I read when I was a graduate student. And so it occurred to me that a cult that 
worshipped as we're seeing so many people do nowadays, like the old way of being. Some valorized, mythologized, old Western culture, like in the book, it's Greek and Roman culture that Dawn and the cult are obsessed with. Those old ideas about gender essentialism and what kind of beings and creatures men were versus women. So they ascribe to these ideas and also twist them in the way that I think cult leaders like the Sarah Lawrence cult leader, the Nexium cult leader are so good at doing by saying, this is how it really is. Everyone is lying to you. This is why you're so alienated. This is why you're so depressed. This is why your life, you feel like you don't have meaning. They say this, you know, to vulnerable people. And we have a path out of that. Like we know the truth about how things are supposed to work and your inner nature. And so let us guide you. And to be empowered, all you need to do is submit, which sounds mm-hmm. like such a nonsensical thing until you're in that position and you're connecting the dots that they're putting together for you. So I spent so long, I have a manifesto of this cult that I've written <laughs> on my computer. Like if I ever get, you know, investigated, they're going to be like, what? But yeah, I had to like, it's okay, I'm an author. Yeah. write this cult manifesto so I knew exactly what they believed and why all the rituals that you read in The Last Housewife, you know, how they tie. Because one other thing that I did in The Last Housewife is every cult member you meet, and they all have different names, like the artist and the philosopher and so on. They're all men I have known in my real life. Oh, no. (laughs) That I have transposed into fiction. And Lane, I don't know if you've ever read the book Justine by the Marquis de Sade. No. Don't do it. It's absolutely (laughs) awful. I read it for a French literature course in my PhD degree. And it's essentially about a woman who just suffers every kind of sexual violence imaginable. And it's like this carnival of depravity, one thing after the other. And obviously it got the Marquis de Sade imprisoned for publishing it. Yeah, I've seen the movie Quills, and I feel like that's all I need to know about the Marquis de Sade. I'm good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? No, awful, like, <laughs> literal, terrible human being. But I read this book, and I actually had it floating in the back of my head kind of when I was writing Housewife, and I wanted to do a thing where one by one you meet a carnival, a parade of misogynists, like so many different ways to be a man who belittles and hates and does violence to women. You can be so affectionate (laughs) and so, you know, and so, and put women on pedestals and be infantilizing or, you know, so many other ways. So I was like, I'm going to show readers like they're going to get this parade of misogynists in this cult. Yeah. And some of them, it's interesting how as a reader, like even if you recognize that they're all terrible, you react differently. Like I know when you got to the guy who's the artist, Mm -hmm. he almost, and I think Shay reacts to him this way too. It's like, oh, he doesn't seem so bad, but like he is. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yep. And it's such a hook immediately because you're like, oh, a reprieve. And it's the more insidious 
danger that she like slowly starts to feel in that scene. There's so many disturbing parallels to real life stuff. Like I just kept thinking about, I mean, the Supreme Court, obviously, fuck them. But also, I don't know if you've seen this thing. It's on like TikTok and stuff about high value women where they're like basically trying to learn to be good trophy wives. Have you seen this? this I have not. Please tell me everything. Okay, well, I haven't done a deep dive into this. I wondered if you had with your research because it seems so related, but it's basically they're like, well, I don't need a job. I'm just going to be a high value woman and I'll be really good at giving blowjobs and a really good cook. And I'm just like, (laughs) what are you going to do when your husband leaves you for another high value woman who's 20 years younger than you? Because that's what's going to fucking happen, sweetie. Like, I just I don't know. I have a lot of rage about this because my dad left my mom for his 25-year-old secretary like a fucking cliche. Oh, my God. And so luckily she had her own career, which she had kept up kind of against his will and advice. Like he didn't want her to do that and didn't think it was necessary. But I just see that and I'm like, you cannot trust like even a man who seems like a really good man. I mean, you shouldn't put all of your eggs in any basket. Like you should have your own power. Yeah, have your own power. A thousand percent. And I guess the reason I'm not shocked by this TikTok phenomenon is because it's just like my undergrad experience I guess like captured on film (laughs) like you know oh yeah you mentioned that when we did that dark academia panel I remember this do you want to elaborate Um, just like (laughs) I mean no shade to my fellow Vanderbilt graduates but man being a Vanderbilt sorority girl which I felt a very complicated set of reasons why I needed to do that at the time at 18 years old But being a a sorority girl was very, very eye-opening because there's so much of that culture. And it's not even about like securing a ring at this point. It's just about getting a date to formal. And it's like, you know, how can you make yourself so irresistible? And what are the ways that you can endear yourself to men always like revolving around that? And again, by men, I mean like fraternity boys who are like... I know, it's not even worth it. Like at least... I know. I mean, at least the trophy wives are going for the ring and like the, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But there is, it's this weird thing. Like you were saying, you were feeling this weird jealousy when I'm talking about not being ashamed of my boobs. (laughs) And I feel a weird jealousy sometimes when I hear about these women who can attract that sort of male attention or be like a sugar baby or whatever and get all this money from a guy. And it's so fucked up, but I'm like, I can't access that kind of power. And it is a kind of power. It is a kind of power. It's so messed up, but it is. And we're really socialized to, even for me as a queer woman, it's like you're socialized to prize the approval of men and think that it can keep you safe. And it can't. (laughs) But I mean, it can in some ways, but not like in the grander scheme of things. And your book does such a fucking great job of, of showing that. Like there's so much going on in this book. It should be studied in classrooms, but it's also an incredible page turning read. Yeah, so obsessed. But I should say... People might be surprised if they're not familiar with you. And after this conversation we've just had, you also write romantic comedies. Yes. (laughs) Twist. (laughs) Plot twist. Twist. (laughs) Yep, I do. (laughs) How how do you do that? How do you, like, is it like you do one and then the other and kind of give yourself a break from all the darkness? or like That's literally exactly how I do it. Like, I go back and forth. (laughs) I write a thriller and then I'm like, whoa, I just emotionally wounded myself. Let's go heal in this world in which, you know, everything is going to have a happy ending. 
And so I, I literally go back and forth from book to book. And as you might imagine, the romance following The Last Housewife, which will come out in spring of 2023, is like my t- most tender, soft romance. <laughs> I just really need to live in a soft world after living in the housewife world for months and months and months. But I will also say that as a romance writer, I am suspicious of what I'm doing as I do it even. And I love romance so much, but to call back to your point about being attracted to things that you're suspicious of, there are so many things that I love in romance, tropes and behaviors, speaking within the context of male-female heterosexual romance, because that's what I write. But there are so many things about you know, the male love interest that I am deeply suspicious of as I'm writing and reading it. And I tried to use those tropes in Housewife with Dawn to try to complicate them. Because, for example, Mm -hmm. there's this trope in romance where, you know, a man leans in the doorway and his broad shoulders fill the doorway. I love that shit, Ashley. I'm mad about it. As the spectator, you're looking at his broad shoulders and his casual lean and you're like devouring this image and there's strength and everything there. But cast in a different light, that's a man blocking the door. Yeah. That's a man who is a solid wall of muscle, maybe, who has the strength to hold you down if you wanted to leave. And so that was the kind of, I I tried to play on some of the things that I used in my romance writing with Dawn specifically Hmm. to give him those tropes, as you were kind of mentioning with the choking. There's literally choking in all of my books because I'm into it and I feel really conflicted about that and bad, but also like whatever. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, I, I am the exact same way and I think that it's part of human nature to want to walk up to the edge of danger and even things as radical as our own annihilation and experience just a taste of it and like peer over the edge. I think that's a really human instinct and what's fucked up for women is so often it's not safe for us to do that yeah and if we play with it you know we end up dead (laughs) (laughs) just you know we could have a lot of pleasure we could end up dead that's basically daily life as a woman it's fine (laughs) (laughs) we laugh (laughs) (laughs) well what are you working on now you teased a little earlier so well tell us about your next romance and your next thrillers since you're doing both whether this is a good idea or not i do not know but i have two books coming out again next year one romance one thriller and so my romance is the follow-up to my first debut so fool me once was about a woman named lee who's falling back in love with her ex and trying to get a bill passed and this second book is about her younger sister alexis who's kind of i think like a reader favorites very different from lee lee by the way is by far my most unlikable character out of these three books that I've written so far. I guess Housewife Mm. hasn't reached a mass audience, so I haven't gotten that like (laughs) level of feedback about how much people hate Shay, but I was really surprised at how many people hated my romance lead. But anyway, so yeah, book two of that thing I just said people hated is coming out in spring. (laughs) Well, but we love that here. Anyone listening to this podcast will love the unlikable female character. Yes, great, great point. (laughs) Everyone listening, you're my people. So yeah, that book will be out in May 2023, I think. And then I'm 
like very jazz because I'm in the middle of writing it right now. So it's like consuming my brain space. But Midnight is the Darkest Hour is the title of my next thriller. And I've been joking that it's every summer after with serial killers for anyone who's read that (laughs) book. But it's essentially a serial killer love story set in a fictional swamp in Louisiana because I have family in Louisiana. It's just held this place in my imagination as almost fairy tale esque in the way it looks sometimes. So yeah, that is what I'm up to for next year. I'm very excited about all of that. I haven't read your rom-com yet and I really want to. And now I want to even more because I love unlikable female characters. (laughs) Thank you. The bitchier, the better. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. People didn't like that. Uh, Lee makes mistakes and has no interest in love at first. And I don't know, is like politically driven. It's very wild to me. I was naively after publishing In My Dreams, I Hold a Knife and having such strong outcry about Jessica, my main character there. (laughs) I was when I was getting ready to publish Fool Me Once, I thought, oh, finally, I'm going to publish a likable character. It's going to be a whole different publishing experience. And boy, was I wrong. I mean, people will find anything to dislike, but I also, like, for me, I just embrace this as part of my brand and yeah. I'm just going to make them bitchier every time. I like the it. book I'm working on now, the main character is definitely a lot. <laughs> I am so, so excited for your next book because I keep reading your Instagram posts about it and I'm just like, oh my God. <laughs> I'll tell you secrets about it off the yes. air if you want. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone listening is so jealous. Well, thank you so much, Ashley. It was so fun to talk to you. And The Last Housewife will be out at the time this airs, so people can go get it. And they should read all of your books, rom-com, thriller. You do everything extremely well. I'm a little jealous. (laughs) But I love your books. I'm such a fan. Thank you so much, Lane. Uh, Feeling is mutual. And it has been such a blast. Thank you for having me. That's it for this episode of Unlikable Female Characters. Don't forget to subscribe, and you can also follow us on Twitter at UnlikableFCPod for updates, book recommendations, and angry feminist rants. Our website is unlikablefemalecharacters.com, and we're also on Instagram at unlikablefemalecharacters. Thanks for listening.